This is Ergo Radio. We are here featuring strong young voices. I am your man, Mr. Damon Williams. You can just call me Dame if we're familiar. But if you're not familiar, do not call him Dame. <laughs> Give him the full honorific. I'm Daniel Kisslinger. You can call me Daniel Kisslinger. Kiss anything but Danny. We're good. Uh, we're here on WHPK 88.5, WHPK.org, and Ergo Radio. Dot com showcasing strong young voices from Chicago and beyond. How you feeling, Dame? I'm feeling super great and excited to be here on this dreary Chicago fake summer day because we have one of the best people ever. Uh, she's brilliant, wonderful. Miss Eve Ewing is in the house. What's up? Hi, everybody. How are you today? I'm doing very well. How are you doing? I'm pretty good. You, um, people may not know this, but you are not the singer-rapper John Doe. <laughs> <laughs> no, I am not. That is the no, first credit fact. to your bio. Fact, not me. Uh, and we are so happy and honored to have you here and also super appreciative because this was very last minute. We actually had complications and you filled in. Um, and this is your last day in the city. So thank you yes. for spending time with us this hour um, as you are, you know, scattering to get your life together. So you've been, <laughs> you've been, <laughs> you've been home for a couple months uh, or yeah. in the city for a couple months. What have you been up to? Um, so I, uh, I'm a Chicago native. I lived here my whole life and uh, I live in Boston right now. So I live there, um, throughout the year and I've been home since the end of May, really working on my, um, dissertation research as well as just kicking it with my family and trying to have a good time. Where yes. is home in the city? Where do you stay? Where'd you grow up? Uh, I grew up in Logan Square. Um, I tell people now I grew up in a pre-gentrified Logan Square. Um, so it's radically different than it, it looks now. It's kind of strange to me. Um, and uh, then I went to school down here in Hyde Park um, and then taught in Bronzeville, lived in Pilsen, moved back to Hyde Park. And that's where I'm staying right now. So I don't I don't really anticipate myself ever moving to the north side again. Um, but that is where I'm from. Mm. So... Tell a little bit more about, I mean, obviously the changes in your childhood neighborhood are so huge, but are there kind of a couple snapshots that for you either capture that change or just to you, like when you think of the neighborhood where you grew up, like what are a couple of those snapshots? You know, it's kind of the the complicated thing about talking about gentrification because um, when you grow up in a neighborhood and you don't have a lot of like fun things to do or restaurants or cool stores to go to, um, you want those goods and services. But the thing is, is you wish that those things didn't have to come at the cost of losing the neighbors that you're familiar with or um, the place not being comfortable or welcoming or hospitable to folks. My brother had this joke once where he's like, you know, I want to have a cafe where there's a dress code and you have to wear Tim's and double XL. <laughs> Tea to get in the cafe because he's like, you know, I want to be able to go into a cafe and yeah, like, you know, people from the hood want Wi-Fi too. Like, yeah, you know, yeah, like right. we we also enjoy a good chai latte. Um, but you know, uh, like, do those things have to come at the expense of being welcoming and affordable to the folks that have been there for generations? So one example is, um, I grew up reading comics, grew up reading a lot of comic books, and there's never a comic book shop in my neighborhood. And I always would go downtown, or I'd go to Lakeview, um, or I'd go up by my high school, and um, you know find comics where I could. And the first time I came back to Logan Square and there was a comic book store there. Right off the blue line. Yeah, right off, right there. I actually went in and I was actually kind of like irrationally angry. I was like, where were y'all? And they're like, who are you? Why are you yelling at me? And how I was dare like, you come with these yeah, comics now. No, I was like, you, do you know how many buses I took? And like how much also, you know, like, be, you know, at the time, uh, gender norms and comics were different. I was like, you know how much sexual harassment in the comic book mm. store I endured? Um, and to not be able to find something like that in my own community or 
York. Um, you know, there's a bookstore right there now. You should have gotten um, comic book reparations. Is yeah, like, I need. Like, I do. I deserve comic book reparations. Three comics per month. Right, <laughs> right. I need 40 acres and a, and a mule and a subscription to uh, <laughs> the new DC. No, but yeah. So I mean, that or the Logan Theater is a good example. That that's kind of like a complicated one because like when we went to the Logan Theater, I didn't know what a regular movie theater was until I was like 12 years old, mm. and uh, we would go there and it was like the floors were sticky and for candy you get like runts out of the quarter machine and um you know you see all the movies that came out like six months ago right. um and now they redid it it looks so nice and everything so i don't know it's it's very complicated jumping ahead real quick yeah sure does you being now you know looking at uh for lack of a better word transplants coming in such as myself um being someone who for different things has transplanted to different places around the country, does that complicate it at all for you? Yeah, I think about that a lot. Um, you know, I live in Boston now and um, the community there, when I first got there, I hated it. I hated it so much um, because I was comparing it to Chicago and that's not it's not really fair to do that. Because um, Chicago's going to win. Well, and because, you know, if you compare something to what is normal to you and you're setting, you're comparing it by the standards of what you grew up with, that's not really fair. So I'm like, there's no Mexican food here. And it's like, well, you know, maybe I should learn to eat more Dominican food, or you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I first, I hated it, and then um, really what happened was I got involved with the arts community there and the youth arts community there, which is, you know, how I how I grew up here, and it made me feel more like myself. But I feel very mindful of that because, um, you know, sometimes folks uplift outsiders, and I try to be mindful of my place as an outsider. Although I will say that in Boston, people have a slightly different orientation to that than they do here. In Chicago, you know, we have the saying, nobody don't want nobody, nobody sent, where it's like, who are you? Do I know Do I know your right. cousin? Like, where you stay? You know, and um, we're very suspicious of people from the outside. Boston's a little different. They kind of, sometimes they like you. When people find out I'm from Chicago, they like me more. <laughs> so, so for us Southsiders, when we like leave and come on, like usually like the college kids, our first thing off the road is like hitting up Harold's, getting the six piece, extra mile sauce, lemon pepper. You know, you got ready. it. Yeah. I, what is your like thing when you come? My on, hometown even now? food. Yeah. Oh, uh, definitely. Well, not Harold's. even food. Just oh, like just what things? is your like? I'm off the plane. Um, I need to. Driving on mom. Lakeshore Drive. Okay. Driving on Lakeshore Drive is definitely it. Um. Well, like you said. You know, first being Harold's and then some like a decent taco, three tacos. Um, but then driving on Lakeshore Drive, it's like, um, you know, I grew up um, not close to the lake. And so for me, I always associate I went to a magnet school and I always associate going on Lakeshore Drive to going on a field trip because mm-hmm. the only time we would ever go, you know, we didn't have a car when I was growing up. And then when we, my mom did get a car and we never got on the expressway or we didn't go to the beach or anything like that. And so the only time I ever went on Lakeshore Drive was when we would get on a school bus and go to the Shedd Aquarium or go to the Field Museum. And uh, so I associate driving down Lakeshore Drive with the feeling of like ultimate freedom. Like I'm yeah. out of school. I'm 10 years old. I'm going to see some dinosaurs, you know, like that, that amazing. And then the same thing, like being in high school with your friends, like going yeah. wherever. So that's, that's what I always got to do. Where'd, uh, where'd you go to school? Um, I went to a magnet school for grammar school called Hawthorne. It's in Lakeview. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I went to Northside College Prep for high school. How would you describe, and I've asked this to a couple of folks yeah, yeah. on the show, how would you describe what kind of student are you? Like what <laughs> What were the marks on your report card, like the comments that you got every uh, single time? I got, I got straight A's and then I got a check for um, exercise with self-control, mm. which is... Uh, wow. Yeah. Was that's, that a surprise or were you like, no, no I'm composed, I got this? No, I mean, because that's the one you get for um, talking too much. And so I always, that was always the thing besmirching my report card was exercise with self-control. 
um, Sounds which familiar. I continue to work on. Yeah, yeah, I think that's usually a theme with everybody that comes up <laughs> yeah. here at the center. We have yeah. artists and poets and creatives. If you have a strong young voice, like you got to try to exercise. Yeah, right, you don't really right. always want to hear that in the classroom. Right. You know? you know, and now the sociologist in me is like, well, that's very raced and gendered at the same time. Mm. You know, like I remember I had I had a positive schooling experience, but I remember things like I had a teacher tell me like, you know, you have to be careful not to be intimidating the other kids when you work with them. And, I, you know, as a teacher, as a teacher and then as an educator and researcher now, I'm kind of like, that's kind of messed up to say yeah. to a little kid, you know? Yeah. So you're one of the... The poets that like I looked up to as oh I was my gosh, like, entering, you. you know, the, the Chicago arts scene. When did you find your voice, or when did you first start to like actually put things on a paper in a way that like was a real thing? Yeah. Um, when did I start doing that? I think uh, you know Chicago. The thing that is, I, I don't know of another place that has a comparable youth arts culture that's so supported by organizations and institutions. So I came up in Gallery Thirty Seven, which a lot of folks listening will will remember, and I'm sure a lot of other people on your show will also have participated in. What was it? Just talking. Yeah, about yeah. That. So Gallery Thirty Seven was a um, a paid youth arts employment program mm -hmm. and it still exists it kind of became after school matters um but basically it was created largely by maggie daly who was mayor daly's late wife and um if you were 14 to 21 you could get a job as an artistic apprentice working with a professional artist and you get paid and it was great because when you're 14 you're kind of like too old for summer camp and you know too young to get like a real job mm. and so when i was 14 i had a summer job my job was a apprentice playwright and, wow. the, you know, and like it was a playwriting and um, playwriting course. And it was like this culture. And that's where you first started to see even before I got into Young Chicago Authors, that's where you would go downtown every day. And you see all these other young people from all over the city doing African dance, doing painting, you know, doing theater arts, like all kinds of things. And it started to cement my identity of like, this is part of what it means to be from here is to be part of this culture where like, this is what we do. Um, and then when I was a little older, I, I, I was always super into writing and um, I put out a I made a zine uh, hey. <laughs> yeah, by myself uh, for folks that are born uh, before 2000. Uh, mm -hmm. A zine is basically like before blogs, uh, a zine was like a self-published magazine that for a lot of subcultural artistic forms like punk rock music or sci-fi fiction or whatever. Um, basically, people would make these like little janky self-published magazines on Xerox machines. All right, kids, we're going to take a yeah. tumbler, right? And then right. we're going to flatten it out. <laughs> right, we're right. Put it on a piece we'll of paper. Put staples in it yeah. and then pass it out to people. Do you remember what the zine was about? Yeah, the zine was called Moxie and it was like uh, I, I made two issues and it was like uh, poetry and photographs and like really short like micro fiction and most of it was written by me but I also like I put up flyers around the city I got <laughs> people like send in you know to a hotmail account <laughs> and uh, you know so I made this thing and um, I don't really I don't really know why or how I thought that that was a good idea but uh, <laughs> But I had a, a – my mom was having a dinner party and somebody was like, hey, my friend is in the neighborhood. Can she come by? And so this friend of a friend of my mother's came to the house and she started talking to me. It was like all adults and she started talking to me and she was like, what do you do? I was like, I'm a writer, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and uh, she's like, can I see some of your writing? I showed her the zine and she was like, well, I'm from an organization called Young Chicago Authors and we're starting this new magazine called Say What? And uh, here's a copy. And I was like, great, thanks. And, uh, you know, it was – a magazine produced for teenagers, so I was like, this is going to be garbage. So I basically threw it in a corner and didn't look at it for, like, five months. 
that's like one thing is that teens can like usually see through that BS oh, yeah. so fast. You're like, oh, this is probably bogus. Right, like, right. If it's made for me, like you know what position you occupy in society. So I'm like, if this was designed for me, it has to be trash. Like, yeah. and you know, I took I was really pretentious and I took my reading diet very seriously. You know, I used to read the the another big influence on me was like independent Chicago journalism. So I would read the Reader like cover to cover, and the Reader used to be like two inches thick. You know, <laughs> before they, you know, it's hard for independent journalism now but you see the read the reader and the sun times like every day and um so i took myself very probably too seriously as a writer and uh i was like this is gonna be trash so um then i looked at it and i read it and i was like oh this is not trash at all so what's i I know how it feels to take yourself too seriously (laughs) (laughs) that's like the worst thing ever like how, how did you start to to shed that as like or when did you like yeah. was it in that process of connecting with YCA or Yeah, because or, you're like you're not special. Like you know, like you're not special. Like <laughs> and you're all special. All right, kids? And you're all special. Yeah. Learn that. You're not special. You're, y'all not special. <laughs> like and you know, there's a difference um between being the only one in your friend group that's being the only one in your high school, your grade school or whatever that's into something and you kinda get to like wear that badge. I think a lot of kids experience that when they go from high school to college where they're like, In my high school I was the only one who liked whatever yeah. jazz, you know, Miles Davis. And then you get to college and it's like, everybody likes that. There's a class on that. Right. There's a class on Miles Davis. <laughs> I think for me that happened a lot earlier where it's like, I had a lot of friends who also took themselves very seriously as, um, as artists. And so it was like, you know, you basically got to step your game up. And, um, even in the last, I'm 29 now. And so I've been knowing people from YCA for 14 years. And, um, that's actually a huge motivation for why I do what I do. I'm like, man, Nate is younger than me. And like, he's starting his job as a professor. Like, how come I'm not a professor yet? Or like, I told you, I was like, all my friends have books. I don't have a book yet. Like that kind of positive yeah. peer pressure where you're like, man, I gotta, I gotta step it up. You know? Oh yeah. Quick uh, shout out to Ergo alum, Nate Marshall, who has his first day as a professor yes. at Wabash College today. That's pretty rough. Yes, Nate. Good luck out there. Uh, I hope you <laughs> wear a hat that says, I hope you wear a snapback to class just to let them know what it is. And when it gets but, cold, wear a stocking cap because yeah. you got no protection. Out there. Yeah, yeah. He's, How he's do bald. you... Um, Kind of work through that. Yeah, he's very bald. He's bald. <laughs> How do you like work through that that landscape of like? I guess we could we could use the word intellectual and artist. Yeah. Um, but how you're talking about like almost competing with your with your peers or colleagues and how yeah. somewhat like producing art and producing work is becoming like a competition sport, especially with like sure. the social media of like we're all promoting what's going on. How does that like kind of hinder or or push you? Yeah. In a little bit deeper. You know, I think it's like. Um, I say everything is regional because I'm a Midwesterner and I have a I'm self-important in that way. But um, I think that one thing that makes this art art scene a little bit different is that it's more um, cross promotional and mutually encouraging than it is competitive per se. So when I look at all my friends and I'm like, man, they all have a book. It's not so much that I'm like, I need to beat them. It's more that I'm I'm intensely proud of them and I want to make them proud of me. And it also is like kind of the, the possibility, like the the possibility of actually seeing something enacted in front of you, somebody who's like you, who's from where you're from, and they accomplish these awesome things. So, um, you know, my friend Jose uh, Olivares, who's also a YCA alum and a great poet, he said, like, a lot of us are uncomfortable with self-promotion, but mm. we promote each other, right? right? So if no name is like, man, I don't want to, like, tour by myself. <laughs> I don't want to. He's like, that's okay because I'm going to, like, I'm going to talk about how great she is. And I'm going to – so we do a lot of kind of uplifting each other. And I, I feel really uh, privileged to be part of that because 
I know a lot of other artistic environments are a lot more competitive or malicious. Yeah, it's like a true example of rising with your circle, right? It's exactly. Like that's how you, it's not an accident that that happens. It's oh, not at all. reach to each other, hold each other's hands and pull each other up. Yeah, very much so. And then how about, I mean, the interesting contrast to that, or maybe not in your experience, is the, uh, is the academy where <laughs> the, uh, the competition oh, is real. Um, oh, boy, yeah. How do you stay basically sane in that world? Yeah, um, so we didn't do like a bio or anything, so I should oh, probably yeah. explain. Walk us, who, who, what you we got to get to. <laughs> yeah, okay. We, we, we ease it okay. Um, so I, you know, So I'm in a doctoral program now um, and hoping to you know, seek employment in the academy, knock on wood, after this year. I'm trying to graduate this year. Pray for me. Um, so basically, it's, it's very different. It is, it is much more cutthroat. And um, to the degree that I have any say in how I do things in this early stage in my career, I think it's important to me to set the terms about what I value. Because in the academy, there's a lot of, you know, you may have heard the phrase like publish or perish, like, basically, all of your worth is evaluated, like on how much you have published, you know, papers and prestigious journals, and um, things like teaching are not always actually really valued. Um, and even when you go up for tenure to to argue that you should have a job, like the fact that you've do- done a lot of teaching or public service is not always valued. So those things are very deeply important to me and they make me who I am and they make me happy. So I think I have to work hard to set the terms of um, what success looks like for me and be around other people that support me in that. Um, but I will say I'm very blessed because um, – I think that for black people in academia and then for other sub-circles, like, um, you know, I'm in a school of education, so I work with a lot of other people that are educators or motivated by social justice work. So it's kind of like anything else. You just kind of try to keep the people around you that have a slightly different ethos that you actually agree with and hopefully don't lose your mind. Right. That's what's up, man. You're just <laughs> you're just so eloquent and, oh, and brilliant you. in the way that you describe everything. We're gonna oh, take a little. Nice we're, oh, you deserve it. We're gonna take a little <laughs> man, break. You made it here last minute. We'll yeah. see what we're gonna <laughs> we're let you let also... you catch a breath. Okay. Sip a little water, and we're gonna tune out a little bit uh, to a, a new. He said, "Sip a little water, not wine." Just uh, that was. Just did I clear. did it sound like wine? It, a little bit. I just want people to know it's twelve. Well, that's because I had wine at seven this morning. Young Ice Mountain. No, nah, I'm just joking. But yeah. We're going to play a little tune real quick. We have Raven Lene with Green. Oh, I wanted to hear this song. Yeah, yeah. She's dope from Chicago. Yeah. Much love. I thought the first thing you say when you walk my way is hello, maybe. No, it's cool. Just wasn't expecting that. Although I should Based on the way you move across the room I can see your face gleaming from the vapor That is dancing on the window pane Or maybe it's because your eyes speak to me Every time you blink Or maybe it's because my knees lock After every word you speak You remind me of the summer Racing through the thunder Laughing with our shoes untied You remind me of the summer Dancing in this armor Maybe we should go outside do you have any plans after this? My friends are in the back with us. You should come along if you're down for it. My friends are in the back with us. You should come along if you're down for it. His name is Ashton. Say hello. Hello. Do you engage in conversation with the strangers of the strangers or not? 
No, I don't watch cable. And yes, I like to wear my pants a little past the navel. You have any collections, any small talents or bad habits? Wishes you would achieve if you would believe that you had it. Can you teach me how to whistle? Could you remind me of the summer? Skating past the drummers. Let's turn up the stereo. Through the song, I hear you utter your list of favorite colors. We should never go back home. What does your tattoo say? I can relate. Stop looking away. I like this game you play. I'm glad you stay. Next time, just say hey. Say hey. Hello, 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 hello. That was Raven Lene with Greetings. Uh, definitely, definitely a strong young voice coming up. She's only like 16. Maybe she might be 17 now, but they're saying she's 16. So that's super dope seeing her rise over the last year. So I, well, hopefully we'll be able to get her up here. Uh, but before we went to that jam, uh, we were talking a little bit about your, your work in the Academy right now. And mm -hmm. we didn't tell the people. Uh, <laughs> we, we, we intentionally did not flex for you yet. Your dissertation is not just like... At you know some around the corner spot. Where, tell them tell them where Bodega you're going to University. school mm. in Boston and and, and no, what your dissertation is. Right, right. Um, so I uh, I go to Harvard. What? <laughs> Say it again. We go well. Y'all uh, Harvard. Yeah. Y'all very silly. Damon likes Harvard. gang gang. <laughs> I, uh, Damon likes Harvard. <laughs> I have this theory. No, I call it. Squad, no, I appreciate you. That's right. That's Hold right. It Hold it down. Like how proud East is your Coast, mom? East Coast baby. Before, before oh, you even I'll get tell you it, right like. now. The the best feeling in the whole world is to call your mother and tell her you got into Harvard. That is the best. That was like the happiest moment of my whole life. Um, so yeah, I um I have this theory. I call it the law of amplified returns which is that the theory, mm. it's a theorem, it's Ewing's Law of Amplified Returns, which Ooh, is that okay. the further... Trademark. That's, <laughs> Trademark. that's part of her And my theorem is that the further you travel from Harvard, the more people care that you went to Harvard. So <laughs> when you're when I'm in Boston, it doesn't matter. Like your bus driver went to Harvard, like nobody really cares. When I come home, people are like, oh my God. People can't see, but I'm doing the like vine, like, oh, like that face. Um, and, uh, you know, one time, the, bef the summer before I went there, I... Uh, I went to somebody's wedding. It was like a friend of a friend at their cousin's wedding in Minnesota. And the father of the groom, who wasn't even like associated with the person I was with, um, the father of the groom came up to me. He was a farmer. And he was like, I want to shake your hand because I want to mm. shake the hand of somebody that goes to Harvard. I was like, sir, I haven't been there yet. Like, I'm going to go in a few weeks. But <laughs> he was like, I don't care. Um, so that was obviously very humbling. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's okay. I used to be a Chicago public school teacher. That's way harder. Um, way harder. But... Probably yeah. a little bit less ivy on the walls, though. Less Between ivy on the walls. More, more inspirational posters mm. of Martin Luther yeah. King and yeah. less ivy. And Frederick Douglass. <laughs> Douglas. With yeah. quotes out of context. I used to put this, uh, I had this giant MLK poster that I put in the front of my classroom. And my my hope was that kids, if they were going to misbehave, they would look up and they would see <laughs> and this poster. Staring sternly. Yeah, it was just like, I bought the like most imposing, like depressing MLK poster I could find where they would like feel a deep shame. Like, You're when like they a about All the, Lives Matter yeah. Twitter <laughs> 
person who <laughs> no, used MLK to shame, to yeah, shame people. Yeah, kids. I invented. I was using ML, MLK to shame kids before it was cool. No, there no, was, yeah, uh, it didn't was, work. By the way, it didn't work. There was a picture of. I, maybe it was an actual poster. Maybe just someone photoshopped it. But it, uh, it was like one of those iconic photos of him, and then it said in quotes. Stop taking me out of context. Right, right. I'm okay, right. Yeah. So that plan didn't work. you're out there and mm-hmm. it's cool and it's humbling and people want to shake your hand, but yeah. only here away from Boston. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what are you out there doing? What is your dissertation? Where are you in that? Sure. Um, so broadly, I study um, basically racism and inequality in American schools. Um, there's a lot of racism and inequality in American schools. So you don't say. I have a lot to study. <laughs> um, and, you know, you can kind of infer my interest in that came, you know, I grew up in Chicago. I attended Chicago public schools my whole life, but I attended these kind of elite stratified schools. Um, and, you know, my brother, who's also a Chicago public school student, like had very different experiences than me, even within the same school, within the same system. So I became very aware um, kind of at a young age of how inequality manifests, like how teachers would treat me versus how they would treat them. Mm-hmm. A lot of that has to do with, you know, how boys and, and black boys are treated in the classroom. Um, and, uh, so, you know, that was something I was aware of. And then I went to Northside College Prep, which is this huge, elite, gorgeous high school. I had to travel. First, I had to travel an hour to get there. And then halfway through high school, my family moved and I had to travel like 90 minutes or sometimes two hours to get there because there was no train. I'd take the bus. It was very unreliable. So like... Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the classic thing that a lot of folks have experienced, people of color who end up in the academy have a very similar story of like traveling very far to get to a high school. And the high school I attended cost like $44 million to build, um, while neighborhood and community high schools blocks away, you know, lacked basic are resources are literally decaying, right? Bricks falling off the wall. So, um, I was very aware of that and, um, that, you know, I ultimately, after graduation, after college, I became a Chicago public Where'd school. Where'd you go undergrad? Uh, I went right here at the University of Chicago. Old stuff. Yes, ground. with we with are, Dame's sister. We are in yes. your domain. Yes, right now. yes. I saw her Shout first play um, in this building. Here's yeah. a quick plug. Um, if you need to get on the internet while you're in here, I believe that your login will still work because yes. we've been using his sister's. Yeah. For it does. Oh, I've been I've been using my login. You ain't you, <laughs> you ain't not a lot. I've been using. <laughs> I use that joint every day. But um, so you know, I went to this high school, and so after college, I became a Chicago public school teacher, and I love my job. Like, Best job oh, ever. I taught sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. Oh, yeah. Turned up. <laughs> yeah. It was turned. And like every teacher has kind of their zone, right? So the people that do kindergarten, they're like, I love kindergarten. Don't know how you do big kids. And then to people who teach high school are like, I love high school students. They're so smart. Don't know how you do little. Right. Everybody kind of has their thing. Right. Um, for me, my thing is middle school. Like middle school is my zone. Like <laughs> Uh, I, it's funny I'm doing these things people I'm punching my hand right now I just realized people can't see me but, she's actually so, been I'm doing emphatic. rapper hands the whole yeah, I mean, episode <laughs> uh, i be teaching these middle schoolers B right you know right exactly <laughs> exactly and middle school is my thing I'm a very energetic person um, middle school kids are they are everything is new to them but they're also incredibly smart and able to do like this really thoughtful analysis and so it's this amazing age and they also they don't front like However they feel, they tell you. So when they're mad, they're like, I'm so mad. And then they scream. And when they're sad, they're like, I'm so sad. And they cry. This is the best. So I love my job. I love teaching. Um, But, you know, CPS is crazy. And um, it became the situation where it was like, um, 
it felt like this was during the a previous budget crisis. CPS now also has a budget crisis, but um, it felt like being in a, a crumbling building because mm-hmm. it was like I would do my job. I was having a great year as a teacher. I loved my class. Like we were bonded. We were tight. Like everybody was getting along. Kids were doing well. And meanwhile, um, there was always this threat that the whole thing could collapse any second, right? And mm-hmm. it was like trying to like have this umbrella over your head while there's like a rock slide coming down, you know? Um, and so I was like, this is really messed up because um, my school is constantly in peril because of things that have nothing to do with the people that are actually in right. the building. So I, that's why I decided to go to graduate school because I was like, well, there's people in a room somewhere and those people are making decisions and their decisions are bad. So maybe if I could get into the room... I could tell them to do right. something else, right? This right. is my like somewhat yeah. naive thinking. So, but also like borderline how it works. Like there, there a is a bit room. How it works? There is like, legit there a room. Sitting there is a, table a room making those decisions, right? And I was like, maybe I can sneak my way into the room. And so I applied to all these graduate schools. Um, Before so, we slide past yeah, the middle school, um, I did not like middle school personally. Yeah, um, I didn't thrive as much as you. Apparently, were very comfortable in that room. Were, who were a couple, let's do a couple quick shout outs. Who were a couple middle schoolers, students you had who oh like my stick gosh. in your mind? Yo, I want to give a shout out right now. Uh, all my babies, I love all of you. Um, Bailey Champion is one. Oh, uh, well, so Bailey. a lot of That's y'all know Bailey. She has grown up to be an amazing. What a name. She's, young, she's a yeah. news anchor. She's been a champion. <laughs> no, she, she has grown up to be a really amazing and talented um, activist who's out here in the streets, um, you know, arguing for the validity and the future of black life. So I'm very proud of her for that. Um, I want to give a shout out to Alonzo McCorkle. Um, he hit me up this summer. I didn't get a chance to catch up with him, but he hit me up and let me know, you know, he's going to college and, um, that he, uh, he said, Miss Ewing, we got to get together and have like a lunch for you and invite everybody over. And that really moved me because, um, to have kids get to a point where they're like, oh, I want to do something nice for you. Um, Shout out to Jeannie D's. At one point I posted on Facebook that I was like, oh, man, I'm really struggling to write, you know. And she posted and she's like, Miss Ewing, you're the best writer I know. You're going to do great. Um, wow. You know, Johnetta Davenport, Jordan Griffin, that wished me happy birthday. All these kids. Like, I, I'm so – LaVon Ackerman, who's interning at University of Chicago. Mario Williams, I saw you working this summer. Kalia Franklin. Uh, a lot of my kids I've had a chance to see this summer. Um, and uh, the other thing about middle school is, is like, I've been away from Chicago for four years. So four years in my life, they're like, you look exactly the same, right? I look I look the same. I'm pretty yeah. much the same. Four years for them is like, that's their whole, right? They like, turn into like borderline real. Yeah, uh, yeah, right. Full-sized people at this point. Right. And like, I remember when you had one little like janky ponytail on top of your head. <laughs> now you got outfits, And you had an Omarion <laughs> notebook that you, right? And right now you're out here like doing it, doing it big. Right, right. So um, I, I feel a little on the spot that I was asked to name names if you were listening to this and you were a student of mine please know that i love you we even if i didn't name <laughs> i love all of y'all and um you're so amazing and such a blessing and the thing about being a teacher is like people are trusting you with their children right like mm. people are people are sending their children to you and saying like please please do the best that you can with this person that is the most precious gift i've ever been given that is um that's why i say teaching is like a real privilege because it's people people trusting you with their whole their whole life their whole heart every single day um, that's, that's amazing, you know? Um, and I got to, I grew up very fast for me cause I started teaching, I was 22 years old. So all my friends were like, I, I like, I couldn't, you know, I had to go to bed at 9 PM and wake up at 5 36 AM every, you know, yeah. that was, that was my, I had to pay bills. Like I had to do all that stuff at a 
really young age, so I'm really grateful for that as well. And you had to get used to being called Miss Ewing really Oh, fast. yeah. And it's one of those things that um, at first it's kind of like you're an actor playing a role, but like that is definitely part of my identity. Like people say like, Miss E, Miss Ewing, <laughs> I definitely it's part of who I am. It's like when your mom has a nickname for you, like that's that's also your name, you know? What was your mom's nickname for you? Oh, gosh. No <laughs> you said ever... it right up there. I had to oh, no. My mom calls me Boo Bear. Okay, I'm for, glad for that you... Record. I'm going to go ahead I'm and take glad Dame went there. first. Dame went first. <laughs> wow, look at that. I appreciate you so much. My mom calls me Shushu. I like that. She calls me oh, Shushu. There's a long story behind that, but yeah, she calls me Shushu. My mom calls me Daniel Bowden Kisslicker when she's mad. Uh-huh. <laughs> or does she call you Danny to, to really get oh, her to no. piss you off? I actually didn't know that. Oh, you should have no. told me that. Yeah. I think oh. I'm going to call you Danny on a weekly basis. Oh, no. We have a quota. We're going to curse once, once a week, and we're yeah. going <laughs> to call you Danny once a week. So you went from teaching Bailey Champion and Alonzo and all of these yep. great people that hit you up to do lunch now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you went to go try to learn about the room that yes. guides their educational track. Yes. Um, what is that experience like? What specifically are you like working on? Where yes, are you that's that what process? you asked me and I just took it oh, all that's off cool. track. We want to hear all of that. that so all of that is to say that is why I became interested in educational inequality, right? Because there's a lot of it in the city and, um, you know, it's it's the curriculum that we all grow up with. Every every kid who grows up in Chicago public schools knows that that joint is unequal. So, um, so I study racism and inequality in the school system, and I also study the broader societal structures that influence that. So, poverty, housing segregation, incarceration, all that kind of stuff. Basically, anything that touches on what happens to kids before they get to school or after they leave the school building is also of interest to me. Um, so, my dissertation is uh, called "Shuttered Schools in the Black Metropolis," um, and it, I'm a poet, so I have to yeah, no, that's, have a good that's title a first. Sweet name. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I also I, I, I had to write a proposal, so I also had to come up with a title. That's the name of my mixtape, incidentally. Yeah, <laughs> well, I already got the hashtag. So, um, so my dissertation is about uh, school closings in the Bronzeville community on the south side of Chicago. Um, and I knew I wanted to do something about school closings. Um, you know, the school closings happened in 2013. The school where I clo- where I taught was like, actually closed and consolidated with another school. Um, and that was very emotional. And I was like, well, this is what I, ha- I have to research this now. And the school closings all over the city are really important. Um, but I focus on Bronzeville because um, Bronzeville is a historically, culturally, extremely important African-American neighborhood, um, not just in Chicago, but in the whole country. And uh, I feel it's very symbolic to think about how these school closings that disproportionately impacted black kids, um, 88% of the kids displaced by school closings in Chicago um, 2013 were African-American kids. Um, Out of the whole city of the schools that were majority black students and majority black teachers, one in four of those schools was closed. So, um, And the teachers part is also very important because Chicago is one of the few cities that really has this um, long history of of black educators. in a in a time when in America, you know, like 70, 80 percent of the workforce of the teaching workforce is is, is white women, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, not to say that white women cannot be excellent. I've had white women educators that are amazing colleagues and, and fantastic people. But it's nothing but, like having a black woman. Right. And it's just not reflective that, of the community. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's very, very different. So. um so I chose to focus on Bronzeville, both because it's personally important to me. That's where I taught. Um, but also because I think it's very symbolic and because the history is is just crazy. So my dissertation is about two things. One, um, kind of the history of like how and why we got to this moment. Other folks have did a really good job of telling the story of the moment itself. Um, 
in like as it was happening and really great journalists. And so I'm interested more in like, how do we get to this moment? And I'm also interested in talking through the idea of racism and what racism is. Um, because when the schools are being closed, a lot of folks are like, this is racist. And then people in the district were like, no, it's not. It just happens that all the kids are black, but it wasn't our intention. And so there's kind of a dispute. And you see this in our society overall about like what racism actually is. Yeah. Um, so that's my interest as well. So you said the school closed and you're like, all right, I guess this is what I have to research. That's such an interesting move, though, also for someone who's an artist, because we've some of the folks we've talked to and then other folks would in that moment go, OK, now I have to write about this. I have exactly. To yeah. Make a song about it. I have to paint the song, you know, go march in the streets. And, right. 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 There's a, there are a few different like directions and tools to pull out of your toolbox then um, as someone who, you know, operates in both worlds. As sure. an artist, like, did you do both? Yes, yes. I've done all three. So um, before and during the project, I, I wrote a poem uh, called Requiem for Fifth Period and the Things That Went On Then, uh, which is a very long poem. It's published in a journal called Bird's Thumb. I think they have audio of me reading it as well. Um, and it's a very long poem that's basically about school closings. We'll link to it on the website, okay, agoradio.com, if you're uh, checking that out. Sweet. Um uh, so I wrote this poem about basically the moment when uh, the moment when the the it all goes down when they're passing out the letters mm. uh, that are going to let the kids know like what's going on with the school closing. So I wrote that, and then before that, the year prior, the Chicago Teachers Union went on strike, and I did this huge. Um, I'm a visual artist as well, although I'm a lot less comfortable identifying that way than as a writer. But it's mad cool. But, <laughs> Check out, it's you. all on the website. Thank you know, you. Some of it is, and I was really. Enjoying it. If I could show it on the radio, you I would. would. Thank you. Yeah, I have all kinds of photos right now. I'm sure, no, I'm not doing it. <laughs> um, so I did an installation at Harvard in a in the Carpenter Center for the Visual Arts, and it was a basically I painted a, a chalkboard onto the wall. Mm. So I took chalkboard paint, I painted chalkboard on the wall, and I um, put like a fake. I I mounted a like wooden chalk ledge, and I silk screened onto the wall um, this message that was written in like Danelian, which is kind of the old fashioned handwriting that your teachers use, and um, it was a piece about the Chicago teacher strike and um, basically like that teachers are not allowed to be angry in public. And so teachers kept saying things like, you know, we're not like kind of in, in a way that kind of presages what we've talked about in terms of how black people have to manage their anger in public. A lot of teachers often had to during the strike, they were not allowed to be like, I'm really angry and I'm actually being mistreated at my job. The like peaceful protest. Yeah, very much, very much like they had to be peaceful. And they had to be like, you know, we're not mad. We just are trying to get what we deserve and kind of like moderating their their tones. When in fact, in private spaces, teachers are like, I'm super angry. Like, I, I have a righteous anger for the way I'm mistreated and marginalized in society and disrespected on a daily basis in, in the work that I do, which is the most important work that our society needs. And so um, the piece reflects that. And basically, it was like a daily schedule where there were like angry, fr angry phrases written within the schedule so mm -hmm. that if you were walking by and didn't actually read it, you would wouldn't um, actually see things that were like, just pay me what I deserve and other kind of righteously indignant phrases. So um, anyway, so yeah, I've, I've made some art about school closing stuff too. So I, I'm curious because, uh, you know, I, th I think we're probably on the same side and, you know, with people that I share certain vocabulary, I could probably talk through, mm -hmm. but the whole, is it racist? Is it not racist? Sure. Right? Like to me, it's blatantly obvious, obviously racism when sure. the largest school closing in the history of the country happens to a bunch of black kids right, right. but as a you know uh soon to be how doctor do I tell people? You know, yeah. how, 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 how like in the layman term for our listeners 
who don't go to Harvard sure. or who don't read <laughs> sociological journals, sure. you know, why why is that school closing such a tragedy and such a racial tragedy? Sure. Um, I'll start with the second question first. So um, in common... In common parlance, a lot of times when people say what racism is, they take racism to be a set of personal beliefs or opinions or attitudes right. about people from other racial groups, right? So, like, I don't like black people. On an individual right. level. Right, on an so. individual level, right? It's like your opinion, your value about a group of people. Um, and for social scientists, we think of racism more in terms of structure. Um, so we think about how structures in society disproportionately impact some people more than others and disproportionately accrue harms and, and damages to some people over others. So in that case, the individual intent actually does not matter at all. And furthermore, the individual is not as important as, so much as um, the structure and the overall impact. So you can you can be a person that does not have ind individually biased or discriminatory intentions, but you can participate in things that harm other people um, and that disproportionately harm people of a certain race, right? And so um, that's how we think about racism more in, in social sciences. And actually, I find that a lot of people in, in marginalized communities and communities of color also think about racism that yeah. way, right? And so social scientists sometimes think like, we know what's what with racism and regular people don't. And actually, you know, in a lot of black communities, Latino communities, native communities, people see the writing on the wall. Like they know they know and see the way that these patterns accrue over time. Um, they might understand the system better than people who participate in the system. And exactly. Benefit from it. Yeah, exactly. And um, so to your to your first question about, um, you know, what it means for this to happen to black schools in particular. Um, you know, the Chicago Public Schools is an institution with a, a pretty profound history of, of racism and segregation. Um, actually, in 1980, the United States Justice Department sued the school district um, mm. for creating and perpetuating uh, segregation in the schools. And they would do things like, um, you know, assign black kids to certain schools, even when they were very overcrowded and there was a white school nearby. They would allow white students who were assigned to a, a school that was mostly students of color to transfer out of the school. Mm. So they were very much maintaining this kind of dual system, and the Justice Department sued them. Um, and CPS, uh, instead of going to trial, they negotiated something called a consent decree. And what that basically meant was that they were going to agree to try their best to desegregate the schools and that they were going to check in periodically. And, um, you know, it was almost like a memorandum of understanding. They're going to check in. They're going to do their best. And it's going to be assessed how they're doing. And then they started dodging phone calls like it was Bill Clinton. <laughs> right, right. No, so they did this for many years. And then in 2009, uh, they, they what's called they vacated the consent decree, meaning like this deal ended. And basically they said it was because like there's not a critical mass of white students in Chicago public schools anymore. And so they can no longer demonstrate that they're disproportionately uh, assigning benefits to white students over uh, black students. And then also it's complicated because at the time when this lawsuit happened, CPS was basically black and white. And now it's mostly black and Latino and like Latino students and how they factored into those equations of inequality were not really accounted for in the beginning. Plan. Where did the white so kids go? Where did the white kids go? <laughs> white kids just disappear. Where did they go? Um, they went to private school. They went to CPS. Right. They went to the suburbs. Um, their families stopped living here. Um, some of the younger white folks that have moved to Chicago from other places don't have kids yet or they don't put them in CPS. WBEZ did a really good uh, story that I think had that same title, like, what happened to all the white <laughs> kids in CPS? So I would uh, definitely encourage everybody to check that out. Um, I mean, it brings up a larger issue of, like, the school choice um, 
I just wrote a book review about uh, a really good book called Choosing Homes, Choosing Schools, which is just about the relationship between how people choose where they're going to live and where they go to school. And um, there's a lot of research that says, you know, um, white families make school choices not they make school choices in favor of being in other mostly white schools even when those schools are not as academically strong. Mm. And the way they do that is they see the presence of black kids and also Latino kids, but in a lot of the studies, it's primarily black kids. Um, They see that as a proxy for the school being bad. So they will drive by a school and see there's a lot of black kids playing there, and they're like, this is a bad school. And there's no actual, like, research, test scores. The same as a middle-class black family moving into a neighborhood being a proxy for Exactly, exactly. And so the way these things function for housing and schools are very similar where there are other studies where you can show, um, you know, white participants in a research study video of a neighborhood um, mm-hmm. and you show them these are the statistics of this neighborhood and show them the facts. And they will assume that, you know, neighborhoods with black people have more crime right. um, and that they have lower property value, all these other things, even when they're not actually true. So, you know, that is a very powerful um, force. And um, there's been a lot of conversation. Everybody should listen to the two part This American Life piece about. Um, yeah. Uh, Well, on Harper, but there's a more recent one about um, desegregation. And, uh, um, you know, I don't necessarily agree with everything expressed in terms of the editorializing in it, but basically showing the degree to which white families will go to keep black kids out of their district is is really remarkable. Um, And that actually factors into the school closings, because what it means is that when people around Chicago read about school closings in the newspaper, they kind of can assume what the inside of the school looks like. And so when the district says things like, this school was bad, we have to close it, they believe it. And that was actually like what really hurt my feelings when the school closings were happening was Barbara Bird Bennett, who was the CEO at the time, who now has resigned from her position because she's being investigated by the feds for a $20 million (laughs) contract. Um, So that's a whole other story. Welcome to Chicago, everybody. (laughs) But um, so, you know, Barbara Bird Bennett was like, these schools are under-resourced. These are failing schools. And I was like, you know, you're talking about my school. And when I read those things in the newspaper, I visualized, like, my school, my kids, how they came every day, smiling, their friends, and all the things that I and my colleagues did for them, all the opportunities they had. Like, you know, they went to Steppenwolf. I, I took my students to Steppenwolf Theater, and, and we saw To Kill a Mockingbird, and there was a Q&A afterwards, and they all stood up and were talking in the Q&A because they knew, they knew the book inside out, backwards. Like, they knew it more than the high school kids. And, you know, we went to the Shedd Aquarium. We had a residency from the Lyric Opera. You know, we were out here writing grants and just, like, basically grinding to give our kids the best opportunities they could possibly have. And I taught at a school that I would I would happily send my children to and I would be proud to recommend anybody. And so when you have these headlines about failing schools, it's very easy for people to read them and fill in the blank of a Michelle Pfeiffer, Dangerous Minds type right, movie right. without ever actually, you know, uh, going there. Yeah. It's, it's, even though it happened like almost circumstantially that we have you here, it's really great to have you here this week, especially to talk about this issue as you know, school closings is really becoming big in the news in Chicago mm-hmm. uh, with diet and the hunger strike. Um, and also we have people like tweeting us to like request to ask you about your piece oh, gosh. that you wrote. That, Hello, friends. That, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so talk a little bit about, about the, the hunger strike or you can actually enter it from the piece that you wrote and, and what's going sure. on with diet right now. Um, so I wrote a, an essay this week in a, uh, in a website I work on um, with several folks called Seven Scribes. Um, we also have a new essay out today about Julian Bond that everyone should check out. Um, 
And so the essay is about um, the the fight for diet high school that's going on right now um, and kind of interwoven with the history of, of like how we got here and my own personal experience with school closings. Um, so diet high school is a, a school on the south side of Chicago. Um, it is right on the northern edge of Washington Park. It's on 51st Street. Um, and it is uh, a very large, physically large school. And uh, it used to be a, a public school with a lot of kids in it. And uh, in 2011, in the 2011-2012 school year, CPS announced that they were going to be phasing out the school and that it would be closed in 2015. Um, and that is something different than a lot of school closures. Usually it's like, hey, everyone, the school is closing at the end of the year. See you. <laughs> See, peace, <laughs> right? Deuces. Hope you're not too traumatized. Um, and uh, die is a little bit different. So the way this phase out worked was that every year um, they were losing teachers. Every year they stopped enrolling new students, which also meant that the school's budget was impacted um, because uh, the way budget is allocated in a lot of school districts is per pupil. Um, and so the kids that were left faced the situation where it's like this district has told you that your school is is garbage right like we're getting rid of you and like you will not be here and yet you're still you're still supposed to be motivated to come to school every day and do your best right and then in turn get like castigated and criticized when you don't and also you're losing teachers around you you're losing folks that you have relationships with um and that's really dispiriting and disheartening and so um what happened is that uh Right the year before the school was supposed to close, a community group called uh, the Kenwood Oakland Community Organization, or COCO, which is a black organizing group that has a really long history um, in Chicago. It's one of the oldest black activist groups in the country. Um, And they they created a plan where they're like, we demand that you keep the school open and we have created a plan for how you can do it. And it's going to be a community based school where kids learn the history of Bronzeville and we take in everybody and it's connected with the other schools in the community and we collaborate and it's going to be great. CPS was like, no, we don't do that. And then they did a lot of civil disobedience, a lot of agitation to the point where Barbara Bird Bennett said, you know what? We hear you fine, but but this needs to be fair process. We can't just take your plan. We're going to put out requests for proposals and we're going to take whoever wants to submit a plan. Um, which was problematic because you can imagine if you're a grandmother, you got arrested to bring back a school and someone's like, well, let's hear what everybody else has to say about it. Right. It's like, you know, whatever, be that as it may. So Chicago Public Schools issued this request for proposals for innovative uh, designs. And that was really unprecedented. Like CPS doesn't change its mind and CPS doesn't uh, ask communities for input on things. They do in ways that are sort of perfunctory or superficial, but there aren't opportunities outside of charter schools for Mm -hmm. folks to open like a regular district school. So they put out this request for proposals and they got three proposals back. Um, One was this group and they had kind of rebranded themselves as the Coalition to Revitalize Diet. So the same group that submitted the first proposal, they went back, they got professors from UIC College of Education. They got the Botanic Gardens that had already been partnering with them on agricultural stuff. They got the DuSable Museum, which is the Black History Museum that's right on the other end of Washington Park. Right. Um, they got all Amnesty International to talk about how to do uh, internships with the kids, right? They got all these like really impressive community partners, and they built this really robust plan um, for what the school could look like and how it would work and be sustainable and be an open enrollment community school, which would mean anybody in Bronzeville would have a seat. Anybody who lived close by would have a seat there, and it would be a high-quality school in the neighborhood. And on the north side, we have a lot of high-quality neighborhood schools, right? right? Um, But there isn't really that right now in Bronzeville. Um, And so... 
they submitted their plan. Um, another organization called Little Black Pearl, which is an arts organization that also runs a charter school on the south side, uh, they submitted a plan. Are, is the first group the one that's hunger striking? Yes, yes. Yeah, we, yeah. yeah. We, we, yeah. We, 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 gotta, we gotta hear okay. about them a little okay, bit. Okay, cool, let's, cool, let's cool. Get, let's get deeper cool, to, cool. to that. And what's yeah, going on so, so the reason they're hunger striking is because uh, CPS canceled, the, long story short, they canceled the meeting when they were supposed to oh, okay. uh, actually make the decision. After that long planning yes, thing. Yes, after though. this long planning thing. So they were supposed to have a hearing August 10th. They canceled it three days before um, with like that, like hearing was supposed to be Monday. Yeah. They canceled the it bastards. Friday afternoon. Ah, right. That's, uh, that's petty. Right. <laughs> it's mad petty, right? And they, via press release, they're like, hearing is canceled. Oh, wow. Have a nice weekend. Um, so then, <laughs> have a nice weekend, everybody. Um, and the board meeting that happened yesterday was they were supposed to vote on it and that didn't happen either. And so the group is hunger striking because they're basically like, you have not shown us any good faith of a transparent process that actually is community accountable. And you've shown that you have no real interest in actually reopening the school. There's a lot of theories. Some people think that they want to put the Obama library there, mm. um, which I actually think is a pretty plausible theory. Um, some people think that they want to um, uh, have there be a charter school or just shut down the school or whatever. Um but basically, the hunger strike is to say, we demand that you make a decision on this now and that you respond to the community. Because it's not just this group. I mean, they did a lot of legwork in terms of talking to community members, talking to parents, and actually, um, you know, reflecting what the community wanted to see in the neighborhood. So that's that's why they're hunger striking. And today is day 12 of the hunger strike. Is there strike. a way that people can help or support yes. their, their efforts? Absolutely. Um, you can use the hashtag fight for diet and, um, and be sure to tell people. Up until recently, there was very little media attention to this. Um, yesterday, this started to pick up. CNN had some media. I believe it was on the local news yesterday as well. Um, but and uh, ergo got their hands on it, which was really yeah, yeah, yeah it, so exactly, it today. exactly. Y'all pushing it. I mean, <laughs> honestly, though, every bit counts because um, there really was not a lot of attention in the beginning. Um, so definitely just telling people, and then also call Rahm Emanuel's office and demand that he actually meets with the protesters. Um, there has been no acknowledgement from CPS. Uh, yesterday, the board for the first time they actually addressed it, and they're like, "We hear you, we see what's going on." But Rahm Emanuel has not in any way addressed the hunger strikers, and um, yeah, he's known to do that. Yeah, right. He's not a very community-oriented gentleman. But, I mean, people are putting their lives on the line, and it's actually quite quite scary at this point, a lot of health scares. So, In the spirit of the schools, let's go to our recurring segment, Let Me School You, Young. Oh, it's hey. great we have an educator here. So this is what we do. So every week, right, we're, we're like the young, young Voices show is kind of uh -huh, our uh -huh. thing, right? So we have this fan-favorite segment word. called Let Me School You, Young, and it's kind of like a game. <laughs> The listeners can play, but also you're kind of on the hot seat, oh, right? Oh, no. I was told no hot seats. You being a more veteran youngin. <laughs> I love to freestyle. I have, I have faith in you, and no okay. one has got it right yet. Right? Okay. So we play a song, and I'll tell you what year it is, but you have to guess or know. The year it, or I'll tell the, you, artist? the, the artist? and the name okay. of the song. Oh, man. Um, so last week, even Reggie got it wrong. Even uh, Reggie? Okay, that makes which, it feel better. Yeah, so there's so they're actually no pressure. You would be the first one to get it right. Okay. Uh, but we never play like the typical Al Green, like okay, you know, love okay. and happiness joint. We always try to go into the crates a little bit. All right. So this one is coming from 1976. Keep your ears peeled. And when we get back, we get a piece. I just have to say piece. the artist, not the title? We'll give you either. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> All right. Here it is.
cut it off there um i like how radio does this like the, the gci and them does this thing like you qualify to win for something yeah, right right so if you get this you qualify you quali- we will be entered into a drawing <laughs> you qualify for get some uh, bj chicago you know, kid to yes. you qualify for a dissertation for right. a doctor you, quali- <laughs> you qualify for some prince tickets. as a matter of fact you qualify for the show of the person who it is if yes. you get it right listen to the home i see what you did there you, uh i ain't got no idea i don't know take a Michelle guess stop me Sample like a it, famous guess, sampled by by everybody yeah. the Isley Brothers. No, good guess. It is Roy Ayers. Oh love the sunshine. man, Alan's making faces <laughs> the window. Word, mom, I'm sorry. Sorry, mama, we let you I down. The streak continues. Where the house is winning. Y'all bogus. We're Look, like you brought so much knowledge to the show this week. However, you got school. Yeah, I you got, got school. school. You got school. It's cool. It just means I'm young. That's we all can fine. grow and we all can learn. Hashtag millennials. Today. Hashtag Fetty Wap. (laughs) So we're running out of time. So, yeah, outside of being, uh, uh, I'm going to say, budding Twitter celebrity, you're getting some Twitter clout out here. That's unfortunate. You are are one of the greatest poets out. So we want to give you the space to do what you do before we get out of here. So would you bless us with a piece? Sure. Do y'all want to hear a poem about my hair or a poem about Prince? Ah! Let's do that. Let's do your hair. Okay, ah. great. This is a world premiere. Yeah, <laughs> new-ish. <laughs> boom, boom, um, boom. This poem is called. I got aggressive, didn't it? Wow. <laughs> Wait, is my mic still on? Yeah. yeah okay, great, great, everyone. I knew that. I was a rhetorical question. Um, my poem. This poem is called "Why You Cannot Touch My Hair." It is a. Uh, this is a world premiere. My hair is my childhood friend who used to come over every day and became cool in high school and then began to do drugs and then ran away, but now is back trying to get her life together, and we have coffee together one Sunday morning before her shift at the grocery store. My hair was in a zoo. My hair escaped from the zoo and took out three officers of the law before they shot my hair up full of tranquilizers. Tranquilizers only because my hair is too valuable to die. My hair is a speakeasy. It's not that no one can get in. It's just that you don't know the password. My hair did a lot of work and climbed many mountains, literal and metaphorical, to get here. My hair ran out of oxygen tanks a mile back and has been heaving for breath ever since, but is determined to reach the summit. My hair endured a bonnet last night. That's a lot of work. My hair is a technology from the future and will singe your fingertips. Be careful. My hair doesn't care about what you want. My hair has a brother. 
I washed and conditioned and moisturized and combed and braided my hair's brother in the kitchen sink when my hair's brother was depressed. My hair's brother has a daughter. My hair's brother's daughter is tender-headed, and I sing while I comb her, holding her at the roots, touching her forehead so gently, and telling her I love her while she cries. Wow. Love. That is beautiful. E-viewing, ergo, thank you so much thank you all. for being here. I appreciate you. So, so what's next? You're, you're from Chicago. You're going to All day, Shy City, Harvard. baby. You're, you're moderately light-skinned enough. You want to run for president? Yeah. <laughs> Go, I'm definitely light skinned enough to run for president. Uh, I know I, the Bernie Sanders truth is, is, is out, out for your head. Yeah, they, is there uh, still beef there? The, the <laughs> team Bernie Sanders don't like me. Um, I will say that I'm uh, Bill Ayers is a very close personal mentor of mine, so I think that that disqualifies me. I oh, think a yes. lot of the, the crowd that I Not run with disqualifies me from from presidential qualification. But um, where can people actually find you? you? Know, what are you actually? Yeah, doing you can find me. I have a website, uh, eviewing.com. E v e e w i ing.com um i think i'm gonna be on the radio again on saturday on wnur so you can listen to me there and uh follow me on twitter uh eve ewing i go by wikipedia brown it's a great twitter um thank you mm-hmm. uh i tweet about uh the cupcakes that i like to eat late at night and how racist the world is so if you like that tune in and uh that's about it cool we're gonna have to have you back because i feel like we got like halfway through and i don't always you know some shows are like always like oh we'll have you back yeah i really do want you to come oh back. thanks y'all yeah, i appreciate, really appreciate you it. i really appreciate so you. much love appreciate this was ergo thank you so much for tuning in find the podcast on ergoradio.com support us on patreon follow us on twitter at ergo radio you know all the plugs damon let's get out of here we gone